Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome into your April 3rd edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. This has turned into a monster episode. Player profiles continue with Matt Niskanen. We will get to that momentarily. Uh, Bill Clement will join for that uh, breakdown of Matt Niskanen's game this season as a member of the Philadelphia Flyers. One of the real good signings out of Chuck Fletcher in last offseason to pick up that veteran defender and the trickle-down effect that he's had uh, on this team. The decor, Ivan Provorov, even uh, other young defenders like Phil Meyer, Shane Gossespierre, and obviously uh, Travis Sanheim has been very pronounced. He and Justin Braun were two welcome additions of veteran presence and guys that uh, could lend a lot, especially if the playoffs are to happen in the NHL. And we'll see if that is, in fact, going to take place, but only at the right time, as obviously this pandemic continues. Everybody, thanks for listening as always. If you have not subscribed yet to Flyers Daily, please do so. Player profiles continue. Uh, any of the pro player profiles that you have missed, you can go back and check out as well. We did Scott Lawton, Justin Braun, Nicholas Albay-Kubel, Travis Sanheim, James Van Riemsdyk. You can check out all of those episodes. You can just go back and listen to those at any time as you please. Also check out the last Flyers Fix episode, which uh, came out on Monday. I uh, had a chance to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Flyers General Manager Chuck Fletcher. Again, that's in the Flyers Fix category. This is Flyers Daily, uh, and we're going to get to Bill Clement and the player profile of Matt Niskanen momentarily, but I did have a chance to connect with one of the newest Flyers, another new Flyer, another big signing for Chuck Fletcher in the offseason, and that, of course, was Kevin Hayes. Here's my conversation with the number two pivot for the Philadelphia Flyers. Joining us on Flyers Daily right now, uh, Flyers Center, Kevin Hayes joins us. Kevin, how you doing, man? How's the, uh, uh, the stay-at-home order been treating you? Uh, I'm doing fine, uh, healthy. Um, just bored, honestly. Um, I've never really had anything like this happen to me, and um, I mean, the best way to to get over this is kind of following the right rules and place in order for us. And I've been trying to do that just a lot of Xbox. So you're playing? What are you, what are you playing on Xbox? Uh, I'm playing some Call of Duty and some Rory McIlroy. Oh yeah, <laughs> have you have you have you shaved down your handicap uh, playing the golf? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, if my game could ever have any correlation to my Xbox game, I'd be probably on tour. Yeah, they're a bit long in that game too, aren't they? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, are you binge watching anything? Like I talked to James uh, Van Riemsdyk the other day, and uh, he's all yeah. Tiger Kinged out, man. Yeah, I, I watched Tiger King. Uh, um, catching up, I finished a million little things. Um, I started Little Fires Everywhere, um, and I've actually been killing the board games. I've playing a lot of board games. Wait, well, like Risk? Like what kind of board games? Uh, well, I play a lot of cards. Um, nice. And then this new, this new game called Racco, pretty good. Oh, okay. It's, uh, now, it's a fun this, game. Yeah. This is all stuff you wouldn't get to do had you guys still been playing right now, right? For the most part. I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's I'm back in Boston, and my family's uh, we all live pretty close to one another, so we've kind of quarantined together, which has been nice and kind of been nice to kind of have more than just myself around, and, and um, makes it a lot easier. Uh, makes instead of me going insane, I get to kind of go see them and hang out with them. Yeah, sometimes going insane in numbers, I guess, is is more palatable. Um, you spent a yeah, lot of time. Exactly. You spend a lot of time in New York. You, you see what's going on there. Um, it, it's hard to see. It's hard to watch. 
Uh, I'm sure you have a lot of contacts still there and a lot of friends in that city. What's it been like seeing New yeah, York it's, through that? Uh, it's, it's incredibly sad, honestly. It's, uh, it's one of the best cities in the world. Um, just so much going on there, so much history. It's literally kind of the, the nucleus of the United States, and and um, it's just sad to see what's going on. Uh, I know a lot of people that live there, a lot of people that are quarantined there, and it's uh, it's not a healthy situation. Um, I feel bad for everyone that's involved there and, and um, sending them nothing but positive and healthy vibes, and, and hopefully this is over sooner rather than later. Yeah, no question. Uh, Kevin, um, to just all of a sudden take the skates off uh, against Boston, or I guess that next day when you guys practice down in Tampa and not be able to get back out there, to kind of go from, you know, 80 miles an hour to, to a standstill so quickly as a player is really difficult to deal with. How's that been for you to all of a sudden just have a season stopped that way? And then when you lose in the playoffs or you get injured, that's one thing. Uh, but the way this kind of went down and just for it to stop like that, it's been difficult on some people, I'm sure. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Uh, I mean, hopefully something like this never happens ever again. Um, but to be going to the rink every day and then seeing your buddies and seeing your coaches and going on a nine-game win streak, feeling good about yourselves, almost at the top of your division, start clearly preparing for playoffs, and then all of a sudden the NBA gets canceled and then you get canceled and – it's uh, it's definitely a whirlwind of emotions. It's it's I think it's a lot different for some teams. I'm I'm sure teams that are at the bottom of the division are kind of like all right, whatever earlier summer. But teams that were really going to make a, a memorable run are, are kind of upset about it. And and um, I mean it's not only us that was having a good season. So I know a lot of guys feel this way. But it's uh, it's sad not being able to kind of go for the Stanley Cup. And hopefully we can figure out a way where or that's still something that is possible in the future. Um, when you look at uh, some of the reports of uh, different scenarios have been out there, 2014 playoff fields, five uh, round first round or second round, and then a conference final and, and cup final at seven. Um, how, how late can you guys go? Because one of the proposals that was reported by TSN on insider trading was that, uh, you know, July, August playoffs or August, September, then a month in between to another 82 game season. What's palatable uh, for you as a player and what you're hearing from your fellow uh, members of the PA? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's honestly so many options where you kind of hear something new every day. It's, it's kind of like the same situation where you get text messages about the coronavirus, something new every day, and you don't even know who to believe anymore. And, and um, it's just a situation where I think time will tell. Uh, the the player reps and us as players, we, we – um, we kind of come together and figure out the best possible situation. But I do think there's going to be a playoff somehow. Uh, I don't I don't know how they're going to be able to do it. Um, in a perfect world, we do a playoff to clear a Stanley Cup champion and play an 82-game schedule next year. I don't know if that's going to be possible, but um, I'm sure the the PA and, and the owners are going to figure out what's best for, for everyone. And you alluded to it. Maybe teams, you know, like Detroit that are way out of it. It's hard for them to come back, have a training camp, play 10 games, and then go back on the shelf. Uh, but to get right into the playoffs may be the scenario. Uh, I talked to several of your teammates and, and other members of the of the organization. And uh, are, are you like-minded with them that there's a lot of unfinished business you guys feel right now? No, for sure. And honestly, it's for me, it's everyone's going to be in the same playing boat no matter, no matter what the situation is. Um, so I, I'm – I'm preparing to do whatever, if it's a couple of games on playoffs or playoffs. Uh, I think at this point, everyone's just willing to, to figure out a way to get right back into it. 
Uh, Kevin, when you look at uh, your transition to be- becoming a flyer, you spent a little bit of time in Winnipeg, but let's face it, you've been a Ranger for most of your career. Uh, there's a rivalry between those two cities, but your transition here has been really unbelievable to watch. And the fans are absolutely loving every element that you bring to the table, both on the ice, off the ice, and wherever that is. What's that transition been like for you? Um, coming into a new situation, a new team, it sometimes can be a little stressful and and maybe take some time to, to become yourself in that in that regard. But, you know, you, you've assimilated yourself beautifully. Yeah, no, it's, it was definitely was stressful at the beginning. Uh, I was a guy who's had a big contract for a long time, and I don't think some of the fans or, I don't know, even some of the media wasn't too happy with the contract and stuff. But, um, but it, it takes a little time. I was coming to a city where I honestly knew nothing about um, – I visited once in college. I played against the Flyers a bunch of times, and that's really all I knew. Um, but no, I mean, I was told um, they invested in you. You should invest in them, and I kind of stuck by that. It's it's a uh, it's a great organization. Uh, it's run by great people. The people who work there are unbelievable. The leadership group is great. The prospects and the young guys are great, and it's honestly been a very easy transition once I uh, once I kind of bought into really being a flyer and and um it's been super smooth for me I, i've loved every single second of it um i know i wasn't putting up great points and stuff but uh i feel like when i was doing off the ice and in certain situations on the ice uh, i was helping the team and um i went from not knowing a lot of guys to, to calling a bunch of these guys some of my best friends i i knew that your you know your kind of integration was really genuine because i heard you on chicklets and talking about, you know, the relationship that you've already developed with guys like Jake Voracek, Claude Giroux, Sean Couturier, and many others. So you could feel that it was genuine. And, and you see the responses that you get on social media. Um, and, and you engage in that with Gritty and everything else, and people dig that. So I, I put out a, a solicit for a few questions on social media for you, knowing I was going to talk to you today. So here's a few for you. Jim Ike HW said, what's it like playing for AV, the difference between – uh, playing for AV in New York and now playing for AV here in Philly. Is there a difference? Um, yeah, I think the difference is personally, honestly, when I entered the league with AV, I was a, a kid who put up a lot of numbers in college and kind of thought everything was going to come easy and, and just cared about playing offensively. And he kind of switched my game. And, and um, I feel like he was he was um, a, lot, like a lot harder on me then. Uh, kind of as a young kid standpoint and and now I feel like we have a great relationship with one another and um, and then now I feel like he gets disappointed with me when, when I don't do the right things where before he got mad at me which was I'd rather him get mad at me in New York than disappointed in me in Philly it's like when it's like when your parents don't get mad at you and they're just more disappointed it feels worse Oh, when they said that, that's like the word. I'm not mad at you. I'm disappointed. You're like, you crumble. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. You're like, oh, no, how do I figure this out? I got to start using that. I feel, I feel like I feel like we I've, – I've honestly been in the league for – this is my sixth year, and I've had AV for four and a half of them. It's, it's, uh, I've been lucky to, to kind of call him my coach. He's, he's an unbelievable coach, and uh, I think what he stands for uh, in the game of hockey, and I think what he stands for – uh, like personally with how to treat people and the way to be treated. And, and um, I think how he goes about that and that aspect of his life is, is a very easy guy to follow and kind of gain respect for. And, and I think that's why he's had such an easy transition. It's a really- 
um, gin and juice tweets in. I could use one now. Uh, he said, how did you learn to, <laughs> right, how to use your body so effectively to, to box out other players for puck possession? He says, it's a standout skill of yours, and there's plenty of talented big centermen who don't do that nearly as well as you. That really helps you on the PK as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when you grow into your body too quickly, you kind of lose some some speed and, and your body isn't developing the the way it should be but like with your muscles and stuff so I couldn't skate that well for a long time uh throughout high school and into college and I realized in order to to gain an advantage I'd have to figure out how to use my body and I think in the NHL even though even though I'm not I'm not the fastest skater I think I put my body in in a position where I gain steps on guys and if a guy is skating full speed and I put my body in his way he clearly can't keep skating full speed so I think I gain a lot of steps by by um by using my body and I think I learned that probably probably going to college and that's like a not like why work harder just work smarter in a lot of ways right exactly Coots uh, Coots is the biggest advocate of that and I'm just following him <laughs> what's a good guy yeah no question um yeah. Um, you know, gaining acceptance in a city like Philadelphia, tough sports fans, we know that. And Brian Hunter tweets in and says, do, do you realize that you're becoming one of those special Philly athletes that fans gravitate towards? Do, do you recognize that? Um, I don't think I recognize it. I think it's just more of being myself. Um, you don't want to come to a, a city and put on a fake act. Fake act. Um, because if, if you really are genuine and you be yourself, on and off the ice uh people are either going to like you or or dislike you and 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 um i think the way i've gone about it is is i mean it's kind of just the way my parents uh raised me it's uh i'm a huge advocate of making sure that everyone around me is having fun um and i, I think i try to stay up to that to to a t honestly i try to enter the arena whether it's a game rink or the practice rink and whether it's guys on my team coaches people who work at the Wells Fargo, I try to make sure that everyone's kind of enjoying themselves and, and enjoying their time uh, around the Philadelphia Flyers. And, and if I can kind of put a smile on anyone's face, that's, that's honestly what I try to do. I've, I've built some relationships with some workers at, at the, um, at the Wells Fargo. And, and I remember we were walking, me and my dad were walking to my car after one of the games and some fan above screams, uh, Kevin, you were born to be a flyer. And then like two weeks goes by and my dad's like, I, I kind of think that guy was right. <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe not at first, right? Growing up up in Boston, your dad's like, that. no, you were yeah, born to be a, no, you were born to be a brewing to, son. <laughs> but like, it, it's, it's honestly been crazy. Like fans of fans of like really like the mic'd up videos. Uh, oh yeah. The stupid, the stupid championship belt celebration. And then I have a bear named after me. And, and uh, it's, it's honestly been great so far. Yeah, um, see, that's the people here like New York, like Boston, East Coast cities. They they spot a fake a mile away, and the genuineness yeah, is probably exactly. what they yeah what they what they grab. Steve Nudy tweets and he goes, yeah, uh, t- to that beer point. He goes, how good is the New Yard's Big Hazy IPA? It, it's good, but yeah, I would suggest <clears throat> I would suggest only having a couple. Oh yeah, that they kick you, they're, huh? They're heavy. Yeah, it's a double IPA and it's eight point seven percent. They can catch up to you pretty quickly. Uh, Jason Voorhees tweets and he says, "Who was your idol growing up as a young player? You know, as a young uh, kid growing up in the NHL? Who, who'd you watch?" 
Uh, it's kind of weird because I still play against him. Uh, it was Joe Ford. I loved him. I loved him and Eric Stahl. And I played with Eric Stahl in the same line in New York. And I've played against Joe for my whole career now. And it's, I always love playing the Sharks because it's, it's like, it's a chance to kind of go against your childhood idol. And, and I mean, I sit there and off, but he's still doing what he's doing. And it, uh, it makes you realize how awesome the NHL is. I grew up, uh, Kid from Dorchester just wanted to be Joe Thornton, and now I get to go up against him and play against him. It's, it's, uh, it's cool that it's come full circle. Did, did uh, you know, him getting traded uh, out of Boston, did that scar you as a kid? No, not really, because I, I honestly wasn't the biggest Bruins fan. My cousin, uh, Keith Kachuk and Tommy Fitzgerald, I kind of just followed whatever teams they were on. Um, and I loved Joe Thornton just because he was a big guy, and he's kind of a pass-first type player. and, and but I, I honestly wasn't the biggest Bruins fan growing up. Um, Chris tweets and he says, do you still have your Peloton bike from your apartment in NYC? Are you using it? You on the Peloton? <laughs> it, wasn't, it, wasn't a Pel- it wasn't a Peloton, but I, I do Would you have a, a Bobo? Now. Do you have a Bobo Peloton? I had like a, it was like a Cybex, I think it's called. Oh, okay. But, uh, uh, are, are, you, are you pedaling away on that though right now? Yeah, I've been, I've been killing the Peloton. <laughs> uh cat last twitter question she says uh since you watched tiger king did carol kill her husband did she feed him to the lions i think, I think carol killed her husband <laughs> i do too man she freaked me out <laughs> yeah seriously <laughs> she's in my nightmares <laughs> uh, uh last thing for you uh are you a patriot fan and, and what's it like up there now brady's gone i mean he dude he announces that on saint patrick's day that's like putting the knife in and twisting it on, on pats fans up in up in new england yeah, I mean Tom Brady's he doesn't do anything by luck. He 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 knows exactly what he's doing. This guy's career is unbelievable. He he always chimes in at the right time and, and uh I mean I think Eagles fans might be happy. I do love the Patriots, but now that Brady's gone, I I think I'm gonna add the Eagles to, to my team to watch. There you go. That'd be perfect, man. Hey Kevin, yeah. uh, uh we hope the game gets back on the ice, man. I know that everybody is there's a pent-up demand for not only just sports, but the NHL, and everybody feels like you guys can do something special here, and they don't want to see it cut short. So uh, best of luck. Stay healthy, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time here on Flyers Daily. Thanks, you too. Stay healthy. Great to catch up with Kevin Hayes here on Flyers Daily. Boy, he's made all the difference in the world, and you can see why in that conversation right there, why his teammates have just (laughs) – just – assimilated with him and he assimilated with his teammates and the organization and even as importantly this fan base the way he has he's just a great guy great personality wants to have fun wants to win and do the right things to win but also wants to have fun while he's doing it and fans have recognized that and good for everybody on recognizing that Kevin Hayes has been a great addition to the Philadelphia Flyers he's been a great addition to the Philadelphia community as well so we can't wait to see him back on the ice soon enough player profiles continue right now here's my conversation with Bill Clement as we break down Matt Niskanen and his 2019-20 season as a Philadelphia Flyer and joining us right now on Flyers Daily very happy to have him I've been hearing this guy a lot despite the fact that I haven't talked to him since that last Flyers game on March 10th against the Boston Bruins because I'm watching a lot of old-time hockey. Bill Clement joins us right now. Billy, how are you? Jace, doing great, thanks. I'm glad you are as well, and I, I hope that the, the people that have uh, you know tuned us in are doing well also. A, a bizarre time, no doubt. Oh, yeah, that is for sure, Bill. And, I mean, I think I'm hearing you just as much now, if not more, because 
with no hockey, no sports, I'm going back and watching a lot of classic games. And there's one thing about classic games. You either played, you played in a bunch of them. And I remember watching one uh, about two weeks ago that you played in. Matter of fact, I think you had an, uh, your, your, a goal in the game, a game seven against uh, the, the Sabres, if I recall. Is that right? Uh, you know, what's really Or did you get the assist? No, no, no. I scored the second goal. Uh, it was game six, and it was yep. in Buffalo. And that was our second trip to the Cup. Uh, the first year, you know, you, you, you like to say, you know, we, we really felt and believed we could win, and we did against the Boston Bruins in 1974. But they had Orr and Esposito and Johnny Busick and Wayne Cashman. And we ended up playing game six at home, and we won in six. And none of us wanted to go back to Boston for a game seven had we lost game six. It was different the next year against the Sabres because the Sabres were only a fifth-year team in the NHL. They came in in 1970, and they had never won a game in the spectrum. And we all knew and talked about it and felt that if it had to go seven and we had to win it in seven, we would win it in seven on home ice. Uh, but we got the game six, and it was 0-0 going into the third. And the Hound got a, a goal coming out from behind the net. Like Freddie, Freddie Shiro had us practicing all kinds of, of different uh, in-game simulation type stuff that no other coach did. And one of the things that he had us doing was, was trying to pick the puck off the end boards from behind the net or close to behind the net and stepping out in front right away and trying to score. And the Hound because he was such a bull as a player, got our first goal a couple of minutes into the third period. And then with, I don't know, a few minutes left, three minutes and something left, I ended up with a breakaway. And the world kind of stood still for me. My my mind started uh, calculating at warp speed, which I think is the only time in my career it did. I was usually lagging behind. And I was able to score on a breakaway. And we won two to nothing in Buffalo and, and brought home our second cup. And that was a game six. Billy, that was uh, 17-13 into the third period. Uh, Oris Kindertruck with the assist, and Hound scored just 11 seconds into that third period, as a matter of fact. Oh, 11 in, yeah. And, and guess wow. what? Oris Kindertruck paid the price for the rest of his career with his back <laughs> because he got buried along the boards. Uh, Jerry Korab, who was K- King Kong, was his nickname, and he, was, he played like King Kong. He was tough. And Lee Fogelin were partners. And the puck went up the wall and into the Buffalo zone on the right side. And it was right just inside the blue line that Orest was able to get to it. But Fogelin, who was the right D, made a bad read. And they both killed Orest along the boards. And his back was never the same. But he was such a great passer that he was able to push the puck to the middle. And I picked it up just inside the blue line and went in from there. But... Uh, the little O, as we called him, because the big O was Oscar Robertson, right? The yeah, basketball yeah. player. And Oris was a little O. He, he paid a price for the rest of his career, and I think he still is uh, suffering back issues. But that was a hit. I'm sure if he had to do over again, he'd be willing to take. Yeah, well, it was the goal that gave you guys a little breathing room, and you went on to your second straight cup. Um, Bill, the other way, I'm, I'm seeing, I saw you playing so during the, the pause, and now I'm hearing you on all – classic games that I'm doing alongside your good friend, Gary Thorne. Um, you know, I'm watching game six of uh, the 94 Buffalo Sabres and New Jersey Devils, a 70 save shutout for Dominic Hasek. 
I'm watching the Game 7 of Flyers-Bruins, of course, which uh, was on NBC Sports Philly just a couple weeks ago. And uh, Game 7, I'm watching between uh, the Devils and the Ducks today in 2003, a 3-0 shutout for Marty Brodeur to win the Cup. I'm looking back yeah. at these games, and I'm going, boy, boy, first of all, you guys called a great game. And it's just making me want hockey even more. Yeah, me too. Um, and, uh, the, you know, Flyers fans, I'm sure, are crestfallen because the Flyers were on such a roll. But there were, you know, other teams as well that were out there that were making big pushes and, and you know, like like Tampa Bay yeah. having a hell of a year. And they could have won the last two Stanley Cups the way, you know, then they just they came up short. And I'm sure people in Tampa Bay were going, oh, my God, this was our year. Uh, and Flyers fans are feeling the same thing. It's really funny when you start talking about classic games. I was able to work so many of them in game sevens. Um, Doc Emmerich and I worked with ESPN and, and Sports Channel America for seven years before I started up with Gary Thorne in 92, 93. Um, so there were so many classic games. I can tell you, though, the, the, when the game, when everybody was trapping and before the lockout of 2004, 2005 and the rules changed, that series with the Anaheim Ducks and the Devils in 2003, Jace, it was like watching freaking paint dry. Yeah. I'm serious. Yeah. I remember a game in, in one of the games in Anaheim. After a period, we all of the broadcasters kind of stepped outside the booth, right into the long hallway, way up in the rafters. And we all, there, Canada was there, Canada English, Canada French, locals. And we all looked at one, one another and said, what the hell was that? Yeah, what happened like, to our game? It was so, <laughs> it's the way the game was, right? But for all of those games that we really had to work at making it sound interesting, there were other games, like from 1989, Doc and I called Calgary Flames winning the Stanley Cup in oh. Montreal, and then the Rangers winning in 94. Uh, Gary and I called that, the, first of all, the two double overtimes against the Devils that the Rangers won and then beating yeah. Vancouver in a game seven. Then the Flyers uh, come back against the Bruins in 2010 when they went to the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, I, someday I have to just sit down and, and look back. i, I got to figure out if I, if I have a record of all of the games that I called. But just to go back, and because and, I know things will trigger in my memory and go, oh, man, I forgot about that. Like 1987. The Patrick Division final, uh, it, was a, it wasn't the final of the Stanley Cup. Washington and the Islanders, oh, yeah. four overtime, right? And in Washington, that was one of the greatest games I've ever been associated with because there were four overtime periods, and there were what seemed like a 1,000 great scoring chances. And Kelly Rudy for the Islanders was unbelievable. Bob Mason for the... Uh, for the Boston Capitals was unbelievable. And Scott Stevens was playing like a raging bull in the third overtime period. I thought he'd killed a couple of Islanders <laughs> with open ice. So yeah, there were so many great moments and, and look, we can all, we're all going to sit back and breathe a sigh of relief. The world comes first, right? Everybody's health comes first. Sports come way second. And it, it will be such a charged universe on our planet when we move past this and it will translate to sports and hockey, especially, um, you know, one of the things I thought about Jason was I'm so happy this didn't happen in the middle of the football season 
because you know the spread of the virus based on perspiration and contact and all of those things, right? That yeah. football players go through every down, every snap. I thought, oh my God, the, the world could have been way worse if football had been playing. So, yeah. you know, it is what it is at this stage, right? We all just, we're all just keeping our fingers crossed and, and we can't wait to move forward. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny too, like Rudy Gobert, who was the first, you know, the NBA player who first was diagnosed, Bill. And then, you know, the next day is when, you know, that night they cancel all NBA games. The next day they cancel all those, the NHL and everything kind of fell in line thereafter. Um, but him coming out and making that public probably saved some lives because it shut stadiums down immediately too. So then you know what, Chase, there were a lot of people that thought that basketball knee jerked. Nobody does now. Nope, nobody does. You're absolutely correct. And the Olympics are going to now be uh, postponed for a year to 2021, which leads me to my next question, Bill, because, you know, we heard on, I saw on TSN's Insider Trading and, uh, you know, a lot of reports, Bill Daly has spoken, the deputy commissioner, uh, Gary Bettman has spoke out about, you know, them being really amenable to trying to find some way, pending whatever the timeline might be, it may change how it looks, but for somebody to hoist that cup this year, there's unfinished business. It's not done. And they want to get that done, at, but not at the cost of an 82-game schedule next year. And there's been some conjecture about this pushing maybe into July and August, you know, maybe August, September playoffs, even with a month off to get your draft and free agency in and then turn around and play another 82. Is that feasible to have that uh, happen? Absolutely. I don't know why it wouldn't be. If we just start the playoffs, and you know what, it, it we, we, you, you could even rank the teams based on winning percentages for un, yeah. uneven games played, and sure it is. And the appetite for it would be tremendous from the players as well. I mean, that, you know, when the World Cup was being played and, and you know, in the summer, um, yeah, that, like, I don't think anybody wants to see a season die if there's any chance of it flipping back up onto its feet off the canvas and saying, let, let's finish it. Right. Let's have something. And, and, and even if, if it was a, you know, you, you cut down the, the teams that let, let's assume for a second that the playoffs start in mid July for lack of a better starting date. Cause I think things are going to drag on here and they finished the end of August and you could do a best of five. There's so many permutations that you could do. Yeah, especially the and, first and two then, rounds. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. I remember playing four years in a row, the best of three and Oof. feeling like we got screwed. When I played with the Atlanta flames, uh, we lost to LA twice. We lost to the Detroit Red Wings. We lost to Toronto one year. And I thought this is a stupid format and I never would propose a best of three, but best of fives for the first two rounds. Sure. Yep. And after that, the teams that missed the playoffs, could start their training camps. It could be a staggered start to training camps. The teams that the farther you went in the playoffs, if it started on the 15th of July, the later your training camp started, you know, there, there's so many ways to make it happen. First things first, the curve has to stop with the virus and we have to be committed and understanding the notion based on, on the, the greatest medical minds in the universe that we're past it. Right. And as soon as we're past it, any, any way to save this hockey season is the way to go, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and I think the players certainly agree with you, Bill, for a couple of reasons, and, and ownership, because they split revenues half and, you know, 50-50, first of all. Players, uh, you know, general managers don't want to see a lowering cap. I mean, so many of these teams, and you mentioned Tampa, is a team that 
really put themselves in a position for one really good run this year, although there'll still be a good team after that. But they got some hard decisions yeah. to make in the offseason, especially if there's a lowering cap. You know, this group that you have assembled this year will never be the same next year. Um, you only get one run with each group. So uh, I, I do it with escrow and all that stuff. Yeah. No, but Jason, I get that. But if there was ever a time when the, the leaders of the respective forces, right, the union leaders, Don Fair, the players, and the mm-hmm. players have a huge voice, sure. and the owners, if there's ever going to be a time when they generate a bipartisan solution, whether it's like salary cap, whatever, now is the time, right? Yeah. Like, not, not, I'm not, you know, reconciliation is a, I'm not conflict driven. I'm a reconciliation guy. And if there's something to be gained for everyone and God, and you know what? Our players and our owners are not stupid enough to discount the third great entity in the whole deal, fandom. Yep. Right? I mean, ah, there, there has to be a way. So, you know, salary cap aside, I'd like salary cap, who cares? Yep, let's salary get the game on the ice. ice. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Let's make it happen, guys. Yeah, Fan, fans are like salary cap, schmalry cap. I want to watch hockey, and there's going to be so much pent-up demand um, for not only ho- all sports and, and, and hockey as well, and it may be the greatest, you know, coming out of this, if that does play out that way, it may be the greatest time in the history of sports in this country because you'll have an NHL Stanley Cup playoffs going on, an NBA fun, uh, playoffs going on, the beginning of a football season, and the last month the beginning of, and the beginning of the playoffs in baseball. Imagine that all being yeah. in the two months, Bill. <laughs> wow. Yes. Yes, I can. I, I'll I sign up it for it be. now. <laughs> Yeah. Well, after the great void, and it, it's almost as if, you know, the, 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 and, and I said, we, we're talking about sports because that's what we do. Um, the safety of the, and, the, and the welfare of the world is obviously what comes first all sure. the time. Mm-hmm. But when, when, not if, when the sports world reconvenes, for sports fans, it will be as if they have marched through the Sahara Desert for months and finally seen an oasis that was not a mirage, right? Yeah. I mean, that, and, and that's what it's going to be like, the, the joy, the appetite. And you know what? Hopefully it will lead to, 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 to people that die with the colors of their jerseys, understanding that they were on the same team as the fans that wore the other colors all along, right? Because there, there, there are people that are extremists in the sports world, and I love fandom, but not at the expense of, of your fellow man and loving the guy that's in the city, you know, that's across state or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I believe, Jason, sports aside and, or sports included, there are going to be so many positive things that come out of this once all of the healing begins for the loved ones that were lost, for the tragedies that happened. I, I really believe that there's going to be a healing and this. You know, I'm often kind of a political tangent, but just a, a healing that is so necessary in our country, let alone other countries, but in our country right now. And I'm I'm hoping that sports is a part of that healing. Yeah, it usually is, Bill. When you look past 9/11 and those things, yeah. sports plays a big role yep. in the temperature of people, and it, and it can be it binds us together as sports fans and as fellow countrymen and human beings. In this case, and you're absolutely, it's very well said. 
And I'm looking at it like I'm Andy Dufresne crawling through that pipe through miles of you know what, and I can't wait to get to the other side in Shawshank. Yeah, I hear, I hear you, man. I hear that. Um, Bill, um, so player profiles are continuing. Tonight's profile is on uh, one of the acquisitions Chuck Fletcher made in the offseason. And, you know, some in the analytics community panned this, uh, this acquisition of Matt Niskanen. Um, I did not. I liked the move right away, even though there's a little bit of retention on uh, Radko Gudis' salary in the exchange. Uh, but this is a guy who's gone to a Stanley Cup final, has been to a lot of playoffs, won a cup. And uh, really, the difference that he's made for this Flyers team from a leadership standpoint back there on the blue line and the effect it's had on his fellow D-men uh, has been very pronounced. Matt Niskanen has got to be looked at as one of the, the really savvy moves that Chuck Fletcher pulled off in this offseason. By a country mile. Yep. And I, I mentioned on the air a couple of times, I had no idea how good Matt Niskanen was. He, he's the kind of player that you have to watch and be able to see with some regularity to really appreciate. And he, he says, first of all, his leadership comes in how he models for other players, not what he says to other players. Although he is enormously popular in the room, and when he does open his mouth, even if, if, if it's quiet, because he is a quiet guy, he opens his mouth to say something with meaning at the right time. And he is the, the greatest role model, given the structure of the decor and the youth of the decor, that Chuck Fletcher could have acquired. Um, I, I'm, I'm still kind of, I shake my head. I, I so wish I was watching Matt Niskanen and, and Ivan Provorov right now. And because I don't think Ivan Provorov, he dropped off last season. Everybody knows that. But because of Matt Niskanen, I think Ivan Provorov elevated his game to the way everything that we thought he was going to be and could be. And I started looking at D pairs. And I don't think there are five or six D pairs in the NHL that are better as a pair. Right. I don't want to analyze individuals, but as a pair, and that's what it amounts to. Yeah. You know, you got Hedman and, and Pietrangelo and, and a lot of great players, but when you look at them as a pair, um Matt Niskanen elevated Ivan Provorov's game to a whole other level. So yeah. a genius signing. Gene and, and at third one, the greatest thing, Jason, that I, I marvel at, and I asked him this at the carnival, I said, Is this genetic or do you work at it? Because I, I watch Matt Niskanen, and I believe he could play five-minute shifts. He yeah. has stamina. And Ivan's close to that, but the stamina. And he said, I guess it's part of both. I train hard. But he's such a role model for other players, how he approaches the game, how he prepares for the game, how he executes the game on the ice, um, and, and, just, uh, and his love for the game because he plays hard every shift, every game. So, yeah, I, when you say that like Matt Niskanen was panned by the analytics people or whatever, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I sort of gag sometimes at the analytics, and I hope, I pray, that the majority of general managers only use analytics as a supportive tool to making decisions and not as a primary decision maker because they'll be wrong more times than they're right. Yeah. If you, if you know a player well enough, the analytics will speak to that, to speak to what you've already known and kind of figured out with your own eyes. And, and you're so right, Bill, because I think one of the things about Niskanen, and you're right, he's not the most outspoken guy, but there's a, 
confidence and quietness to his game that I think, you know, when you see your leaders freaking out, everybody freaks out. But when your leaders are calm as a cucumber and just cool, and, they, and you pl- he plays that way as well, where he's very quiet, he's not spastic in the way he plays the game. And I think that's calming as, as can be to a guy like Ivan Provorov. And both guys have offensive uh, upside in their game and are both elite defenders still at this point. It, it really is a- amazing. I didn't look at him close enough when he was with Washington either. Um, I noticed John Carlson when I watched that team and Ovechkin, because rightfully so, right? But boy, right. I, I, I just, they grab your attention, right? They grab your yeah. attention. But it's the guys like Niskanen that make a huge difference because I want you to speak to this, Bill. It's the I always say the biggest thing in in the NHL to me is the details, the little the little things, doing the little things right, and he does the little things right and really well, like going into the corner to retrieve pucks and making the smart ten foot pass. Right, he does those little things so well and so consistently that even at thirty three years of age. And with his fitness, God, he could go for years more. Um, it's so it's so important. I, I I agree with that, and I believe that. And I think that like everything you said falls under one category to me, and that is composure. Mm-hmm. And he has composure with the puck, and without the puck, and his commitment to playing hard combined with the composure is what he can model for other players. And yes, he partners with Ivan, but uh, Phil Myers is watching him. Travis Sanheim, Robert Haig, Shane Gossesbear, they're all watching him and, and watching how he does things. It's like, look, I, I learned a long time ago. My, my kids are older now, but parenting is not about what you tell your children. It is how you model for them because they will try to emulate how you and take on the modeling that you have for them. And that's what Matt Niskanen does. Um, with the puck, I, I remember Doc Emery telling me that he was in a CBS uh, meeting before the Olympics one year back in the late 80s. I was doing working for TNT, and there were uh, veteran broadcasters. I don't know if it was Vern Lundquist or, or one of the you know real veteran broadcasters said, well, what would be your one nugget of advice to you know, all broadcasters and whoever it was, it might've been Dick Enberg. um, And he said, you always have more time than you think, (laughs) you know, as a broad and you've been there as a broadcaster. It's like, Holy shit. I mean, I got to fill up dead air here, right? I got to say something. (laughs) You always have more time than you think. And players have to understand there's that split second of time that they can take that they might not think they have. So that's composure with the puck. His composure without the puck is about his decision-making. And Matt Niskanen um, can often, and Brian Engblom told me this, you know, my, my great friend, I worked with him on NBC and Versus, and Brian was a vastly underrated player. He, he does color for the Tampa Bay Lightning. He said to me once, he said, you know, watching the guys in Montreal, when I won the Stanley Cup in Montreal, like Guy Lapointe and Larry Robinson, he said, the good defenseman can, can defend a player really well. The great defenseman can defend two players really well. And both Ivan and Matt Niskanen are capable of doing that with two-on-ones, you know, stuff like that. But the rest of the story, to me, as far as modeling for other players, young players, without the puck, 
I had no idea Matt Niskanen could be as physical as he can be. He's 6'1", he weighs 205, and he doesn't necessarily play a physical game all the time, nor should he, right? The game is about defending, not getting caught out of position. But when if you're coming into the corner and Matt Niskanen wants to separate you from the puck, you are hereby separated. He ex- He blows people up on the puck right when he has to so on the offensive side with the with the composure and the time the defensive side the decision making and the composure to make the decision how am i going to defend this guy right because hockey is a million decisions every game and when he blows somebody up that has the puck it is with authority so all of those things i think the young defensemen are sitting there and watching and paying attention to not only Ivan who plays with him and, and, and Ivan's playing with somebody that can think the game like him, right? You have yeah. to be able to think the game, but the other players, the young guys, Sanheim, Myers, got ghost Hager. Um, they're going, yeah, man, that's, that's how you do it. That's a great role model to have there. He's got 124 hits this year. And you're right. When he, when he hits a guy, he takes them out of the play. He mutes them is what I call it. But Bill, one of the things that really sticks out to me in his stat line this year Last year, he had a power play goal and a power play assist. This year, he's got four power play goals. He's got a shorthanded goal as well. But he also has nine power play assists. He's got 13 of his thir- or 25 point- or 33 points this season on the man advantage. And he's not playing top power play. To have that kind of depth and be able to put him out there on your second power play unit is obviously a luxury. Oh, yeah. Then again, um, so many times – he makes that seam pass diagonally, stepping in. He doesn't just put his head down and blast. And and so often we've seen even strength and power play. The players on the left side of the ice, inside the zone, they know to look for that seam format, right? So his timing of when he steps into a hole and when he knows not to step into a hole, to me, is impeccable. And... I think for a guy like Matt Niskanen, and, and, you know, after all the great things I'm saying about Matt Niskanen, I, I will say something that might sound like a, you know, a backhand across his head, but I don't think you can consider Matt Niskanen as an upper echelon offensive defenseman in the NHL. Mm-hmm. But then again, for so many of those offensive defensemen, whether it be Eric Carlson or even Brent Burns out in San Jose, doesn't matter. Um, you can't consider them to be a quality defensive defenseman. Matt works on both sides of the puck. So I I think not having the pressure of being the number one uh, power play guy, but getting time on the second power play. Look, at at 33, he's won a Stanley Cup. He's played in different organizations, all of which taught him something. You know, he played with, with Crosby and Malkin and Pittsburgh, and you learn a lot playing with guys like that. So as a sec second power play guy, I think he's perfect. I mean, you couldn't, it would be too much, I think, to ask of Matt to be a, a first level power play guy. And it's not the way the Flyers power play works anyway. And for once they have a couple of right-hand shots that they never yeah. had before. But, um, I think he's perfectly slotted. And I think that's a term that sometimes is overused, but in this case, it's appropriately used. When you talk about slotting guys, you know, like Tyler Pitlick, right? If you can slot him as a third, fourth line guy, maybe you need to move him up. You can slot him temporarily in an upper line. What Chuck Fletcher has done is created an organization 
that has depth. What depth gives you is the ability for a coaching staff that to me is perhaps the best coaching staff the Flyers have ever had when you encompass everybody. Freddie Shiro is the greatest coach the Flyers have ever had. And I won two cups for them, and he was a pioneer. He was way ahead of his time. He did things that nobody even could could anticipate at that time. But with this, given this coaching staff the opportunity to have the depth that they have to slot players where they're best slotted and not slot them either over their heads or under their heads is, is something that Chuck Fletcher has given to the organization. Yeah, and to that point, Bill, and it kind of brings us right full circle here, that's why this team is really dangerous in the playoffs. Organizational depth, team depth, depth scoring, um, and perhaps all the things that you just said about Matt Niskanen and we've been talking about, the greatest time for Matt Niskanen maybe is the playoff performer because that's where his experience, although it's been great for the regular season, can pay even more dividends when this team gets into the playoffs and has to go through the battles that take place in the Stanley Cup playoffs when you're battling for that chalice. Yeah, I think that I think that's when the composure is most important. Totally agree. So that, yeah, so that, and because the pressure ratchets up. I mean, come on, you get the puck in your stick and a scoring opportunity in the playoffs, it's different, right? I mean, and if you're trying to defend and you got a two-on-one that you're facing, it's different. It, it, for a lot of players, it's not as fluid. And as a result, if they overthink the game because of the pressures, um, you often can make the wrong decision. So, yeah, match composure in the playoffs would be huge. And yeah, I've got to tell you this, Jason. When I watch Matt Niskan and I shake my head when I, when I think he's 33 because, okay, he has the moxie, the composure, the leadership skills that a 33-year-old would have, but he plays so much younger than that yeah. almost all the time because he's you know physical when he needs to be and all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, you're right. His his resume will be most valuable in the playoffs. Yep. And the effect he'll have on his teammates. Well, as it's Bill, we all hope that they get that opportunity to get into those playoffs, whether it's a 16 team field and the two first, the first two rounds of best of five, like we talked about, or if it, the NHL pending how uh, we come out of this pandemic at some point, uh, whether it's a 24 team field and there's some play in situations and Chicago and Montreal are involved and, or if they finish this regular season, God knows at this point. But uh, we all hope that they get in there. We hope we're watching hockey soon. Thanks a lot for doing this. I knew you would be able to give me great perspective on a veteran player like Matt Niskanen. He just, he's just done so much well for this team. And uh, I appreciate you joining us here on Flyers Daily. All right, Jason, anytime, my brother, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Special thanks to Bill Clement for joining us uh, for the player profile of Matt Niskanen. Coming up next week, we've got Carter Hart on the docket. We've got Travis Konechny. We've got Michael Raffle and more. Never know who else is going to pop on Flyers Daily. A lot of the guys dropping in for conversations during the stay-at-home order in the uh, United States, really around the globe. Michael Raffle in Austria right now. Uh, doing self-isolation so we're checking in with a lot of the players and we'll have uh, those three next week and more coming up here on flyers daily everybody thanks for listening thanks to bill clement thanks to kevin hayes and thanks to you for listening have a great weekend everybody and stay safe and healthy